Well, welcome listeners. This is an episode of Learning From Friends. It's amazing to have you come in here with us and spend some time with us today. My name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide on this lovely podcast that I get to call Learning From Friends. It's amazing to get you to have come back, or if this is your first time, uh, thank you. So as you all know, my the way I like to start out my podcast is with a quote of the day from my mother. Thank you, mom, for in advance for sending all these in to me. I've used this book title before, which is called Big Panda and Tiny Dragon by James Norbury. But this is a different quote from it. It's an amazing book if you get the chance to read it. It goes, when you light a lantern for someone else, you cannot help but light up your own path. It's a beautiful quote. Thank you, mom, for sending that in. It reminds me, since I am a teacher and as every single guest that comes in and they're sharing knowledge with us, it really helps everyone else out at the same time, helps themselves with sharing their joys and stories with the world. So my guest today is Nadia. She is an artist of movement who interlaces dance and theater into all these different beautiful spaces. She has this language and presence that engages you while she unravels this visual and meaningful narrative in these unconventional spaces. During our conversation today, we will speak about her passion for public art and site-specific performances. Nadia, it is an honor to have you come on with me today. Welcome to Learning From Friends podcast. Thank you so much for giving me such a warm welcome indeed. And yeah, I'm super stoked to speak with you today. Now, to start off, one of the first questions, how do we know each other? We actually met on a performance because were you there performing with uh, Corey and me with Glow, or you were in the audience? We were in the audience. We have been volunteers for, I believe, 13 years now. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think that at first I met Corey because we both were connected with Glow and we participated in this really amazing and wild production with Rite of Spring and Robert Spano on piano in Goat Farm. It was amazing. And yeah, you were in the audience and then we volunteered together at some Glow events. And then I think this is how we started talking and chatting and connected eventually. Yeah. And you've helped me over the years when I have questions about site-specific stuff. And then as well with, I was trying to record some videos and record some audio. So I thank you as well for everything that's this relationship. We've gone back and forth and we've discussed before talking about collecting your story. And I think we sat at a cafe for gosh, four or five hours, I believe. That was a very beautiful conversation to get to. And you shared a lot with me and I feel honored that you were able to do that with me as well. Now, can you paint us a visual pictures for our listeners of who is Nadia? Oh, this is the most complicated question um, for me because I'm approaching my birthday, which is tomorrow. And this is practically the time when I ask all these questions to myself and I understand that who I am outside and who I am inside, there, there's so different these two Nadias these three four five Nadias so but practically first of all I think I'm an artist because I enjoy creating so much I enjoy the magic of creative process this is like the best thing in the world for me and second I'm a mom to two daughters and which is also a creative process 
for a woman <laughs> to give birth and also to nurture these little creatures. And the third thing that comes to mind is a homemaker, but this is not by choice, I would say, because I hate all the things that are about making home. And yeah, I think I feel better when I admit it. I started to feel better when I admitted it that I'm just not the person who enjoys all of this stuff. So yeah, a creative person, a mom, and also who does a lot of, like all of us, a lot of routine stuff. And art is my hobby and my life, my profession, and also my outlet from the darkness of washing dishes and doing laundry every day. And so you work specifically with public art and site-specific performances. Can you give us a little introduction to what that is for the audience? Yes. So public art is practically the art that is made to be free. It could be any type of art, but this is the art when you walk outside with a with your dog, with a stroller and your kid, or just you want to go shopping for groceries and you see something that has your attention. This is my understanding of public art. You see a sculpture and you look at it and it gives you some ideas. It stops you. And as one of my teachers used to say, it puts you on pause from all of your routine and it gives you something new, some new impulse. And you connect to your another self that is still there who maybe doesn't want to do grocery uh, shopping or stuff and you connect to your inner self in my understanding this is the goal of public art but of course public art has a lot of meaning for communities for example there was a lot of research on how public art affects crime in some areas and it helps people uplift people's spirits. It's supposed to be more about community rather than personal artistic ideas or researches. This is what I have read in Wikipedia today, that it's less about personal artist personality, but it's more about what it brings to community. And talking about site-specific, when we had a show at 54 Columns, installation by Sol Levit uh, in Old Fourth Ward area. We had a lot of people who live in the area and they came to us and they said that we have showed them absolutely new way of seeing and perceiving this installation. And I think this is what a specific performance or art is about. You are giving people a new perspective on something that they have seen for so many years. Yeah, and this is something valuable because if we give people new experiences and new perspectives, we definitely shift something in their brain and maybe they will allow something else new to happen to them or some new thought or new hobby, I don't know. So, yeah. Very beautiful, very well to describe that. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions that come to this that people tend to have. Do you have any responses potentially to these misconceptions that you've noticed over the years? You know that I also was part of GLOW at some points and some common misconceptions about public art performances is that people, when they see 
performers on the street, sometimes they say things like, I can do it too. Like, this is so simple. And my kids can do this. You're just like prancing or you're just shifting there and this is all you do. So the main misconception, I think, that people undervalue performance art and they don't know how much work is behind it. Because there is work to put a performer in a spot where they are not too distracting, let's say for cars, and they get enough attention from the audience and they don't create a danger for performer or for like traffic. And other things too, what is the best way to put people around to create connection, things like that. So yeah, and also dancers usually prefer to have Marley stages because it's better for their knees and for like for joints and overall stuff. And when you're performing on asphalt or on a dirty grass, that's also can be pretty hard. But I think that it's still the results definitely worth it because of the feeling of something raw, something more sincere that is there. And so the first misconception that it's too easy and everyone can do it, not always. And what are other misconceptions? Well, that also depends on specific art. I know that there's a lot of conversations about 54 columns and a lot of people didn't understand what is it? What is this? What is this installation? Why is it here? It was supposed to be the Atlanta skyscrapers kind of high line, but not everyone can see it. And there were guerrilla attempts to disrupt this. And people were literally like putting trees right there at the columns. I don't know. I, I don't remember. Have you, have you been at that space, at that space? Yes, I have. It's a beautiful space. I got to see several performances that Glow did there at the time. And I remember at one point, Jenny had climbed up on top of one of the bigger ones they helped get her up to. And it was, it was nerve wracking seeing it. But at the same time, it kind of gave a new perspective. And with performance art like that, seeing different places in different directions, it really does open up your mind to do that extra research too. As you mentioned, like a specific space when you're bringing attention to it, like those statues. I didn't know that that was existent. And then getting there afterwards, I looked up the information. I looked more about it and started to learn about that. The old fourth ward, when there was a skate park there, I didn't know there was a skate park there. And when they started using that piece around some of the skateboard and stuff, it really shows how close someone can be at the same time and interacting two different types of artists, a skateboarder and a dancer can be able to interacting at the same space. And it really does change that, but it does take time for someone to understand and also to accept what's taking place. So what you're mentioned there with how people look at it, the dancers thinking that, I mean, people thinking that's easy to dance, the space is the way people reflect on it, the misconceptions, those are all perfect examples for that. Now, I want to go backwards a little bit and ask, how did you get introduced into the arts? My first education is in psychology, but I decided that I don't want to work in the profession and I moved to advertising at some, like after graduating. But 
I, at some, some years after, I decided to study art therapy. And on one of the, we had these modules for two years, like once in three months. So on one of the modules, we were working with performance art and the whole new world like was released for me. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. There are so many things that could be done. And we were also talking a little bit about dance theater. And I decided that I really want to try that. And about a few weeks after I finished this uh, module, I realized that there is a dance theater school that has just opened really close to my house. And I was like, I got to try it. And it was opened by two sisters, the Gabasov sisters. They studied in Germany. So they had this dance theater school from Germany, which is very connected to Pina Bausch style. And I started coming to their classes, learning contemporary dance along the way. And that was the beginning for me. And so I started it when I was about 25 years, I think, which is pretty late to start dancing, contemporary dance for sure. But I tried to grab as much as I can. So this is how I started. And eventually I attended a lot of workshops and intensives in Russia. And there were teachers from like all over the world, Israel, Slovakia, uh, Portugal, and I was in Portugal for another intensive says, intensive as well. And when I came here, also just grabbing everything that I could, classes, workshops, intensives. And also another thing about my education is I watch a lot of works. I try to watch because I don't have this education background like many other choreographers. So I learn by watching and it doesn't mean that I copy something, but I just, the, you know, the breathing of the performance, like how the director does, like manipulates the audience. Where, do, when do I stop breathing and watch and can't move because it's so interesting or when I breathe out and relax a little bit, all of these moments. And this is another thing, how I learn. That's amazing to see how you came into it at a later age in your life, but at the same time, you approached it with a very methodical idea of watching, listening, traveling to these different countries in order to learn. And that's really what it takes of that experience to truly get involved. Because so many times we get ourselves in one space or one city and we don't step out of our comfort zone. And for you to travel to different countries and to work with those different choreographers, is amazing and it shows in your work because you just recently opened up a dance theater and i'm and it's amazing i'm sure that you've brought in some amazing performers and have a lot of performers come and work for you can you tell us about your dance theater in february of 2020 actually it was 29th of february right before the pandemic hit we had a show it, it was just nadia zaitlin's show that was called Bautanz. And Bautanz is goes from German. It merges Bauhaus and Tanz theater of Pina Bausch, kind of. And if you translate it, it's building dances. Then the pandemic hit. We had the really great show. Two shows were both sold out. And I think you were there. I believe you were there. I did. And 
several months in pandemic, I decided that I really want to finally do it. I want to start a dance company. And I decided to call it Bautans and add the word here because I think that this explains our site-specific nature. Build dances here or build dances here. We can build dances anywhere, like in Atlanta, in the library, underground, 54 columns, or maybe we can travel and build some dancers here as well. And yeah, it was a very, very big decision for me. And I'm so happy that I was able to get into several amazing projects, though it was pandemic. But the nature of site-specific dance theater is you can do works outside. So I was able to get into Dance Canvas and Atlanta Contemporary Residency to create a work in the pavilion there. And I think this jump-started also our style, which is visually something that is engaging visually. And yeah, and then we performed in Fall of Falls. And yeah, I just wanted to share one thing that if I didn't have this big show in February, then I wouldn't be able to start my company because with this big show, my individual show, I kind of established my style. I shared it with people in the community. I had amazing photos and videos. And this helped me to get into several projects later. And I think this is so important for your listeners because if you want to do something, there has to be starting point. Maybe you need to invest money into it. Probably you need to invest money into it, but you have this starting point and this will help you to build brick by brick this yellow brick road further. So to date, I am super proud of our company, to be honest, because we were able to participate in Seven Stages, Atlanta Beltline, Elevate, and this amazing arts and entertainment Atlanta grant that we received in December with underground performances, downtown Atlanta performances. I think we did a really amazing job for these two years. And all of my collaborators are just rock stars. I'm so happy to work with them. And that's amazing thing of COVID, even though it did have this one effect for you, it really blossomed and created this whole new venture for you. And being outside that site-specific space too, opened up where people could be able to come and tend with it being outside. So you hit everything at the right time. So that's amazing that it did work out that way uh, for you. And as you said, that is the correct answer of once you open up one door and lay that brick by brick, it could lead to many more things as a result of that. And that's a really scary thing for, for someone you know, to step out there, to put themselves to be vulnerable and to do so. So I'm glad that you made that step in introducing so much new art into the world. And at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you have many different types of yourself, like you're a choreographer, you're a performer, that you know, you're a leader, you're an audience member, you're a mother. How how do you juggle this? Because you are all over Atlanta attending performances and then as well talking with people. How do you how do you juggle that? That's not easy, I must say. First of all, being a mom and an artist 
it's incredibly hard. I think about it a lot. So there is a British choreographer. His name is Akram Khan. And he is famous for merging Indian dance Kathak with contemporary dance and ballet. And he is he's really huge in Britain. So once he was saying about his family, how his wife takes care of his children. And I was a little bit mad at this moment because this is the reason why there are so many artists, like men artists, men choreographers, because women have to do so many things in addition to art, like take care of kids, take care of kids' needs. And sometimes this is just so, this is exhausting. But the main, like even with our recording today, I had to work on uh, putting baby to nap. And then this only, only this way I can talk to you freely because otherwise we would have a lot of blabbing and mama, mama and all of these things. So the main force behind it is the theme of your podcast, my passion. I am so passionate about it that I don't see my life without it, seriously. That's why my house is not ideal. I admit it. I'm not perfect homemaker, but I'm trying to do my best to be an artist that I, that I want to be. I'm trying to be prepared for every rehearsal so that we don't waste time. We have to manage it all, to juggle it all. There is a lot of preparation. There is a lot of mental work so that you don't waste too much time. And yeah, this is, this is what I'm thinking about. And as an audience man, member, it's interesting that you notice that. I'm starting to think that very often it's so hard for me to turn off the choreographer and turn on the viewer. There are moments when I'm watching it and I am deconstructing it. Like, okay, they did it here because they wanted this and this and this. But sometimes some performances, they are really captivating. So I just didn't think like, this is so cool. This is so cool. They did it so well. And that's, that's it. Yeah, that's amazing. And you are doing all these things so well. And it's, you're not giving up on any of them. You're making them all work and juggling it in a beautiful way. And that makes you another type of artist being able to do all of that at once. And it shows for your girls growing up that you can be able to be anything and do everything that you want to be able to do. And that's a, a beautiful role model for a community as well. And that's why I love being able to have you on as a guest, being able to share that with us as learning from friends. That's a whole point uh, for doing so. Now, I want to ask some specific about the, the field of public art. Why do you find this public work so important rather than being inside of a theater or being in, inside of a, a building per se? There is a very big reason for that. The main thing is I really, really want more people to see art. I really want more people to experience art. So example that I speak about a lot is a mom with a stroller who is so tired and exhausted and she just strolls because she needs to give her children or child 
fresh air and she is in the park. And then unexpectedly, she sees something. She sees five dancers in some interesting costumes do something. And she's like, wow. And again, she switches and she has something to think about. She has something to tell her child about, even if it's a very small child. Look at that. They are dancing. Look what you're doing. Do you want to like try to do the same moves? And if she's with her husband, they also have another topic to talk about. Something to freshen up their normal like life. Both parents can be tired, not only a mom or like dad. This is the reason number one to bring something like some, some surprise in normal routine people's lives. And you can't invite a mom with two kids come to the theater. It's not doable for everyone. Even if she comes, she can be so exhausted that she just can't experience it in full. So maybe if it's a young audience who are not really interested into art or into anything, but they are again with friends in the park or at underground Atlanta, like we had such occasional audience, and they see a dance and they see dancers that look first interesting, they have cool costumes, second, and they dance so cool, third, this is inspiring. And they're like, hmm, should I go to maybe do a dance class? Or maybe this will motivate them to go and see a dance in a theater next time. Maybe not like for the first, after the first show, maybe after two or three shows, but they will be hooked to see more of this and in, in another atmosphere, in more relaxed way, like in a theater. So yeah, it's first of all about not inviting people to do effort to buy tickets, to find parking, and to bring themselves into something, but to bring art into people's lives. This is the idea. That's amazing. That is it's so good to think about that, that there's all these different interactions that are organic at that point too. That's, the, that's so amazing. Now, those are some major amazing positives to it. Do you run into any, there's always a positive and a negative, like two sides to a coin there. What are some negatives that you run into being inside a public space? First of all, is with stage, on stage, you can draw people's attentions. You, you have people's attentions more, for sure. And with things like lights and sounds, you can direct people's attention, like whenever, whatever you want to show. I want to show this dancer's story now, so please put light on them. But when you're outside, I prefer not to do too technical stuff. This is my only preference. Maybe it's because I just don't want to get into all of this. So someone is watching you work, and then there's a car, and people are looking at this car, and then there's this big, big truck that over like overloads your, your music. and Things like that, which is, so first of all, is attention. Second is, of course, we can't do all the things that we can do on Marley when we are on cement or on the grass. And 
I respect and admire my collaborators and dancers and I care about them. I don't want them to risk anything. So we are going on a lighter mode, which is also an interesting challenge to create something without using the floor as much as we would on Marley. And third thing, security. Because there could be situations when performers, either on rehearsals or during the shows, can be approached by someone who is not familiar with performance art or who just, I don't know, wants to disrupt. But for this, for example, with Atlanta Belfine, we started to put extra budget for security team, which is just someone to look after performers. And someone approaches, just person just comes and talks, hey, like this is a show, blah, 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 and change the attention. Number four is as much as I would love to bring more art to audiences, sometimes it's hard to get audiences to actually come because to the to the show because they some dance community members I, I believe maybe they prefer to watch dance in a more comfortable way which means sitting in a chair okay. no bugs no mosquitoes no trucks I just need to watch so yeah yeah, those are major elements that come into play, and you never know how the weather's going to be as well. The day, so day of. <laughs> That's why we always have backup yeah. date, rain date. Yeah, weather is a huge thing. You're right. You can't choose a month out, and all of a sudden, the day of the weather being able to change, you can't predict it. What is your process for really choosing a space? Because if there's an entire city, there's entire communities that you can be able to go into. How do you locate to choose a space? There are several reasons for choosing a space. Our first show, I think, that, like public art like show was in Piedmont Park. And I chose this location because there's a lot of people. This literally serves our goal of bringing art into people's lives. They were playing sport games, just hanging out with their families and friends and dogs. And we did a performance there. And that was, that was a very cool experience. I loved it. Second is sometimes locations they call me like with 54 columns i love it so much and it was like calling me like do something with me do something with me <laughs> another thing that is calling me right now is high museum of art i would love to do work there i know that a lot of dance companies did something there so i hope to reach out soon it's just what i love is minimalism which probably means one, two colors and something unusual that we can climb on, some stairs, some geometric shapes, like with High Museum, they have this, yes, the stairwell. In the library that inspired me, it was just the style and architecture that I really, really like. That's wonderful to kind of 
hear that because every everybody has their own different visions and the way you see that space with that minimalism is so beautiful. Like I, I respect that because I wish something that I'm learning on within minimalism, minimalism is learning that and seeing that and focusing on that, being thankful for that more. So being able to hear someone's opinion on that really goes a long way for me as well as a continuing growing artist. Now, there's a lot that goes into preparing for a performance. What kind of goes into preparing for it from creating the piece that you're wanting to do to the day? There's of? a lot. There's a lot going on. And first thing that I hate the most, but it's the most important thing is scheduling, scheduling rehearsals. And if you have five people, it's sometimes not easy. Especially I have, as I said already, dancers are rock stars and they are involved in other companies and projects as well. So first of all, it's scheduling, scheduling the date of the show and retracting rehearsals with everyone and of course research which means going to the space at first spending some time alone and imagining what could be done here 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 then hearing people's thoughts on the space at first in the studio and then we come in the space and also what do you want to do there what does it this space make you feel like then of course decision about the music either we have it or not how are we going to have it and permissions which is also important part some locations don't require permissions for slow like for small scale shows like up to 75 people you don't need permission okay some locations do so there's also this research. Yeah, and then depending on the location, like if you want to prove program of the show with someone like we could do in the library. Yeah, that's a lot to coordinate there, a lot to do. And that's amazing that people don't think behind that curtain of what takes place to get there. So thank you for opening that up and showing us that, that kind of detail. Now. If someone is unfamiliar and they're coming up on this art form, what do you recommend for that person that is attending for the first time, whether it is intentional or unintentional? Um, I suggest just being attentive and spend as much time as you can. Sometimes I see audience members who stop for like for some minutes and then they go because they maybe don't see the whole story, but we, in, in our company, we are trying to create story within every piece. So there is a beginning, like a conflict, and then climax and the ending. I suggest just watch it till the end if you can, if you're like, didn't plan to come. Because there could be more if you spend more time there. Yeah, and don't be afraid and don't be shy. Sometimes I feel like people are not sure if they can join, but we love when people watch the work. So just just relax, yes. sit and watch and hopefully enjoy and 
if you see someone who looks the most nervous, this is probably director or choreographer. You can come to them and tell them your thoughts, even if you didn't like it, just be constructive and tell why you didn't like it or why you did like it. Because, yeah, we appreciate feedback. Yeah, of any artist being able to get that feedback helps you grow and helps be able to attract more audience. But if we don't hear it, we don't know. That's that's the big thing because we have our own mindsets and the way we vision it, but who knows how it could be for that passerby or it could be in what age range that they're seeing at, what it, they've experienced that they've had with different arts. Everyone has something to bring to the table. And that's the beautiful part of this world we live in. Now, a lot of people gravitate, like artists gravitate towards these cities. What is it that really draws people to cities rather than going further out into these outward cities that maybe not be able to have the dense populations? For me, this is, pra- this is a practical thing of places that inspire me personally at this stage of my life. There has to be an interesting building, something that has some exist something but i see what you're saying and with this i love what glow do how they travel with their traveling shows how they travel to smaller cities and they practically don't care about having their interesting locations they just work with community and communities important locations i think at some point of my career i will definitely get there i feel like i'm still only at the beginning and as glow were at the very beginning they were more of a city atlanta glow atl this was their like title they were more in the city and then after like four or five years passed they started to travel so yeah, I want to explore all of my creative ideas first. And I believe at some point we will be serving community more intentionally. You know, right now we're serving community, just bringing dance to them. But at some point we will be looking for specific places where we want the community to be engaged. and. I hope that experience that I will gain over next years will end the structure because now we are incorporated and hopefully we will become 501c3 soon next year. Yeah, this will definitely help me to create more like service to the community. And the process for becoming a 5013c is challenging and i wish you the best with that process because it's paperwork upon paperwork and i've had i've talked with a couple of guests and i had one specifically that we sort of went into it and once it's done it's an amazing thing to be able to have so i wish you the best of luck and i know with your persistence and your knowledge that you will be able Thank to you get so much. there you're welcome if someone is interested in this art how are they able to be able to find it because sometimes it can be challenging to try to find these artists or find these these places. For Atlanta, there are several um, things that 
a person in Atlanta can look into. First of all, it's Atlanta Beltline. They always have a roster of public artists and public art performers participating each season. And second is Elevate Public Art Festival that is happening usually every fall. And they also have a lot of fun site-specific performers usually. There was a great thing, Flux Project, and I believe you're familiar, you should be familiar with it, right? They were doing like yes. wild things way before I arrived to Atlanta, unfortunately. And I think that they are kind of reviving now. Hope I hope so. So for Atlanta, these are three websites that I would pe- suggest people to look at. And also, of course, our website. And I will put some links at the bottom of the page as well with some of the ones that you had mentioned, because mm-hmm. that's a very important thing to have for resources as well. If you've listened to the podcast, you go, hey, I really want to do this. Um, or what do you want to see this? Where where can I be able to go? So I'll make sure to have some links at the the bottom in the description. Now, if you are continuing in this journey, as you are starting to kind of come down towards the the end, what do you recommend for somebody who's wanting to go into this world of performance? What do you recommend for this new performer? They could be five, they could be 20, they could be 70, you know, what do you recommend? Well, if they're really, really interested, I think, first of all, there are several companies in your city that you like, because probably something has inspired you, someone has inspired you, you could simply reach out to them and say, hey, I have no experience, but I really want to participate what advice can you give me? And this is the main point because, well, they also can just take a Bluetooth Bluetooth speaker and play music and just start dancing if this is what they want to do. If they want to be direct, like directed at first, they can definitely reach out to choreographers who do site-specific work in their city and say that they are interested. There, always there are always ways to engage people in the community. I speak a lot about the glow today, but this is also what they did with us, engaging us performers who were called glow people. And yeah, and I would love also to do it maybe at some point. Just the main thing is that you're interested, you're passionate about it. And yeah, I'm noticing that it's better to work with, no, not better, but it brings more energy into work. If these are people who said, who came to you, who shook your hand and said, hey, Nadia, this is me. I really want to participate in your projects rather than folks who you are like, in, like reaching out and saying, hey, this is me. This is what I do. Do you want to participate? They say yes sometimes. And this is not always true, though, because someone can hear me and say, ha, ah, wait a minute. Um, this is not always true. But sometimes people who reach out to you first, they bring you energy and inspiration. 
and people who you reach out to, they also bring you energy and inspiration, but it's a little bit different. Yeah. Asking questions, asking the people around you, it can be very surprising of what you may find. So thank you for saying that. Approach your choreographers, approach your people and ask questions. It could be email. It could be your social media. We have so many options now today to be able to do so. Now, as we start to wind down here, do you have any last minute things that you would like to discuss or advice that you'd be able to like to share? It could be dancing. It could be just general life. What would you like to share with us? There's a lot of site-specific companies in U.S. and like everywhere where that, that consists of people who are not professionally trained dancers. Oh, Beacon Dance. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget about them? Beacon Dance, this is Atlanta-based, site-specific. They're veterans, practically. And this is, if you're in Atlanta and you want to perform, reach out to Beacon Dance because they are also very, very open to taking curious people in. And it doesn't matter your age. If you're passionate and if you can, if you want to tell something to the world, if you want to be seen, I guess. Do you remember how Amanda described her passion for performing? She said that it was kind of the only way or one of the ways for her to believe that she is real, that she like because people see her and people interact with her. And she was like, yes, I'm real. I am interesting. People look at me. I know this is a very interesting uh, book. Yeah. So Beacon Dance and you don't have to be a professional dancer. It takes some time to learn to be more like present, I guess, to express energy. Uh, out rather than in so that people can notice you more or pay attention to your performance but believe in yourself and you can do it yes wonderful wonderful words of advice if someone wanted to reach out to you rather be like social media or something like that how could they be able to find nadia i think that the best way is email me which is nadia.zaitlin at gmail.com if they if they have some specific questions but they can go to our website which is www.boutansart we have social media i believe you will just add all the links after so i'm not gonna spell yes, them right away but i am trying to be to respond to any emails that come my way in a timely manner. So please reach out if you have any questions or suggestions, if you want to invite us to some specific location to perform or you want to collaborate, let me know. That's wonderful. I, I thank you for your time today. And we all have busy schedules and you took time for me and that's the best gift we can give each other is our time because it's so limited. Anybody, if you know, we can always try to find ways to earn or make more money to it, but time is fleeting. So, Nadia, thank you for, for coming on and, and spending this time today because we were able to do this through Zoom, which is something that we would maybe have never noticed without having COVID that come through in our lives. So, as we all come down to the end here, my listeners, you all know that you can find me on Facebook, Learning from Friends Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Learning from Friends Podcast. I am going to have up a Patreon page, which I'll, 
I'll put the link at the bottom because I'm still building it. It's probably November, December by this point, or maybe January when this comes out, but it should be up and running. I'll make sure to have a link at the bottom. If not, as my traditional sign-off here for my listeners, don't forget to let your curiosity fly high. This is Kay Curtis, your tour guide on learning from friends. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.